Kia ora, I'm Emil Donovan, and today on The Detail... Britain has become the first country in the world to approve the widespread rollout of a COVID-19 vaccine. It has overnight approved the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 drug for emergency use. That was back in early December. Since then, two more vaccines have been approved. The Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine has been approved for use by the UK medicines regulator. It is the second coronavirus vaccine to be given the green light and is expected to be delivered from next week. Granted emergency authorization use for the Moderna vaccine last night. This sets the stage for millions of doses of the shot to start being shipped tomorrow. And it cannot come soon enough with coronavirus. There's been strong uptake overseas. Well, the UK is racing ahead of the EU in its COVID-19 vaccination campaign. 2.4 million jabs have been administered across the country. Israel quickly rolled out its vaccination campaign with more than a quarter of a million Israelis vaccinated in the first week. But here in New Zealand, we're going to be waiting a bit longer. Health officials are pushing ahead with preparations for a mass vaccination programme to begin in the second half of the year. So why is it taking so long to start immunising our population? And are we actually ready to distribute a vaccine to millions of people? Last week, we got some big news about when COVID vaccines will get to New Zealand, what needs to happen before we can start administering them, and when the first doses might be distributed. Here's newsroom.co.nz political reporter Mark Dalder. We got, uh, first off, a fairly definitive timeline on when our first vaccine may be approved. So that's the one developed by Pfizer and BioNTech. It's an mRNA vaccine, which is a, a sort of new type of vaccine. They've, they've been experimented before for, I believe, with uh, cancers, but uh, are not a widespread technology. From uh, as early as Tuesday or Wednesday, so that's February 2 or 3, MedSafe could give approval for that vaccine to be used in New Zealand. It may not give approval. It may decide it needs to hear more evidence, and, and that's sort of the deal you get with an independent regulator. MedSafe is making its decisions like it would for any other vaccine or medication. It's It's got a bit of a streamlined process for COVID-19, but it's not taking into account any less information, uh, which is quite different from what's happened overseas, where regulators have given emergency authorizations, so they, they haven't gone to the full extent of uh, looking at all the information and, and requiring all the trial results that they might have uh, because the situation overseas is so bad. Um, in addition to that sort of approval timeline, uh, we were told that the the timeline for getting the first Pfizer vaccines in the country is, is still sort of on track for late March, and that within two or three weeks of the vaccines arriving in country, all of the border-facing workforce would be fully vaccinated. You were talking a bit about MedSafe there, other countries, however, are already using the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine. Why aren't we using it? Why do we have to go through our own separate approval process if other countries are already using it? This is sort of the way it goes with all medications. So there will be some med- medications that are approved in some countries and not others. In New Zealand uh, in particular, we're in a, a very special situation where we don't have to give an emergency approval. We can take a step back and look at all the evidence before we make a decision on on whether this vaccine is A, safe, and B, effective enough. It seems likely that we will arrive at that decision, like other countries have, but it's it's not a foregone conclusion, and it shows 
uh, it shows that we're sort of doing our own homework and, and not letting other countries do it for us. And that's important because the situation in New Zealand is such that we can wait if we have to. Uh, no one is dying if we wait. Whereas in other countries, even if the vaccine was less safe, even if it was less effective, they may well give authorization to it purely because it would save more lives in, in the net. The messaging and the timelines here can be a little bit confusing. You know, we're talking about the vaccine might be approved by this week. It might be ready to use by March. Uh, but mass vaccinations still probably won't happen until the second half of the year. So can you clarify the various timelines and expectations that the short term kind of holds for us? In the short term in New Zealand, uh, we can expect to see very shortly the authorization or, or approval of the Pfizer vaccine. And over the few months after that, more rolling approvals for different vaccines that we've also ordered. Uh, as each approval comes through, we'll be able to hopefully start getting updates on when those vaccines might be delivered. Not all of the vaccines that we order will be delivered in one batch. So, for example, we've ordered 1.5 million doses of the Pfizer vaccine because it needs two shots. That's enough to vaccinate uh, 750,000 people. But we're not going to get all of those 1.5 million shots in, in one boat uh, in, in the end of March. But it'll start coming in on a rolling basis. From the end of March, we'll see the border-facing uh, workforce vaccinated. Uh, that's sort of our priority, because if they are vaccinated, that keeps the rest of us sort of uh, exponentially more safe than if just you or I got a, a jab, because the border workforce is most likely to come into contact with COVID-19 and most likely to spread it to the community. After that, there will probably be sort of a rolling vaccination effort for other frontline health workers, perhaps for vulnerable people, people who are older or immunocompromised. And beginning in the second half of the year or so, we'll start to see a genuine mass vaccination campaign, which means ideally everyone who wants a shot can get one. It's fairly accessible. And the government has made clear it will be free and also voluntary. If you don't want one, you do not have to have one. At that point, when mass vaccination starts... And even now, in a sense, I suppose, we need to start looking at the logistical issues of vaccinating millions of people. How prepared do you think we are at this point? It's difficult to say exactly how prepared we are. If we look at some of our past vaccination efforts, they haven't, uh, we don't have a great track record. If you look at measles, for example, that's the MMR vaccine. It's given to newborn infants and, and, and young children to give them immunity against measles, mumps and rubella. That's sort of a rolling vaccination campaign that, that goes on every day, week, month, and so on as, as children are born and they reach the right age points to, to receive their MMR vaccine. But we slipped up enough to allow our herd immunity, certainly in Auckland, for measles to slip below the 90% the threshold. For measles, which is very transmissible, more transmissible even than, than COVID-19, 90% is, is the immunity that you need to stop it from being able to move through a population. So that's why we saw in 2019 that uh, measles outbreak. Part of that may have been a result of people intentionally not getting their children vaccinated, but more likely the, the greater part of that, that missing sort of 10 to 15% of the population was people who had not been offered vaccines or had not had the reason for the vaccines explained to them in a way that, that they then uh, accepted them, essentially. Given that, there's going to be a lot of effort into going into logistics for the COVID-19 mass vaccination campaign. This is the biggest vaccination campaign the country has ever undertaken. It's 
that's going to be the case for for most places around the world, in part because COVID-19 vaccines will be given not just to young people and not just to old people, but to everyone. Mm. With most vaccines, they're rolled out at a certain age point, so you're only vaccinating some percentage of the population every year. Here, we're going to be aiming for 70% as a minimum of the population in the course of about a year. So getting, making sure you have the vaccines in the right places at the right times is, is going to be an important logistical undertaking. Yeah, I mean, thinking about the logistics of it, the RNA, the Pfizer vaccines that you were talking about, they need to be kept at a certain temperature, a very low temperature, and used in a very short period of time. There is also the issue of the number of vaccinators that, that we have what is the situation with vaccinators? Can anybody be trained up to be a vaccinated? Will we need to train more people to be able to give people this vaccine? So we have a sort of usual uh, workforce of vaccinators that are, are used for the flu campaign every year, for um, sort of those ongoing vaccination efforts, like I mentioned earlier, MMR, HPV, uh, and others. That is in our health system, which as a rule is underfunded and overworked which means we could not rely on that same workforce to roll out in addition to the flu campaign this year and in addition to regular MMR and HPV and so on, uh, a vaccination effort to vaccinate four or five million people. That has nothing to do with the effort that these vaccinators will be putting in. It's just that there isn't enough resources in the system for that project. So the government has made clear, the Ministry of Health has made clear that they're going to be hiring another two to 3,000 vaccinators to, to help put needles in arms. Those will come from retired health professionals, people in the health sector who have practicing certificates but who have not traditionally been vaccinators, and other people in the health sector as well who might have the experience necessary to, to be able to be trained up to, to do this. There are other logistical issues in addition to the workforce. So like you mentioned, there's the issue with cold storage. The Pfizer vaccine in particular needs to be stored at minus 70 degrees, which uh, is not something a regular freezer can reach. It requires medical-grade freezing technology. Mm-hmm. The government has ordered nine massive freezers capable of storing our entire Pfizer order of 1.5 million doses, uh, and those will be probably centralized in Auckland. There may be one or two in the South Island, and there may be one or two scattered elsewhere around the North Island, but mostly they'll be in Auckland, and the vaccines will then be progressively taken out of those freezers, put into refrigerated containers where they can last for about five or six days and sent to where they need to be and hopefully used up within those five or six days. Another sort of logistical issue uh, is just that most of the vaccines that we've ordered, other than the Johnson & Johnson one, require two doses. So that means not only are you trying to get a shot to everyone in the country, you're trying to get one shot to everyone in the country and then two to three weeks after they get their first shot, another shot to everyone in the country, mm-hmm. uh, and making sure that the second shot gets to the person who got the first shot the right amount of time before the second shot gets there is, is a difficult exercise as well. So there's a whole IT sort of database system being set up specifically to handle the distribution logistics here, uh, and there's another um, immunization register being set up that will allow people to access uh, information about the vaccines, access their own vaccination status. Uh, It'll allow any health professional to access that vaccination information. Uh, And it'll be, it's sort of designed for COVID-19, but it'll also replace older systems as we go forward and will allow you to also see 
if you've gotten your flea shots or, or the shots that you needed as a child and, and so on. Let's take a step back. If we go back to November, we were told by Chris Hipkins that... Without going into detail, I think we're very well placed to ensure that as vaccines start to come to market, uh, New Zealand will be uh, at the front of the queue to be getting vaccines. Now, I think nine vaccines in total have been approved. Some countries have vaccinated millions of their citizens. We haven't. Why not? Part of it is the regulatory issues that we discussed earlier around MedSafe waiting longer and going through a more rigorous process. Part of it also appears to be vaccine manufacturers and suppliers deciding that New Zealand is not as much of a priority as the countries where there is active community transmission. Um, It's kind of hard to blame them for, for making that decision. If you're Pfizer and all profit motives aside, you've developed a vaccine that will save lives in in the COVID-19 pandemic, it's probably going to save a lot more lives if you send it to New York City than if you send it to Auckland. And they can Um, just do that, can they, the manufacturers? My understanding is that they expect to uh, produce a certain amount this year. We will get the amount we've purchased, but the first sort of doses that are are manufactured may go other places first. It's, It's not clear to me whether the contract we negotiated with Pfizer mentions specific timelines for when we'd get them or specific priority orders for whether we'd get them ahead of other countries. You highlight in one of your recent pieces for Newsroom that there could in fact be advantages to New Zealand in being further down the supply line. One of the stories that has been going around recently which Susie Wiles, the microbiologist from the University of Auckland, has written about, is uh, tuberculosis. So that's a sort of uh, infection that was for a while one of the leading causes of death globally, um, certainly in the 19th and early 20th centuries. Mm. From around the middle of the 20th century, we managed to develop a complex regimen of um, antibiotics and, and other treatments that you'd be able to take to cure it. And effectively eliminated tuberculosis in first world countries. We didn't then give developing countries the resources, supplies, and know-how to be able to deliver those same treatments to their populations, which has meant that they've delivered partial treatments or not enough, and tuberculosis is still a problem uh, in many overseas countries. Over time, the tuberculosis uh, infections have mutated to become more resistant to those same antibiotics that we use to treat them, which means now not only is the developing world still suffering from tuberculosis, but the rest of the world is is threatened by certain antibiotic-resistant strains of the the disease as well. Um, The fear is something similar could happen with COVID-19. If the first world takes all of the vaccines, which if you look at the current numbers, it's certainly getting a lot more than developing countries if mm-hmm. on a per capita basis. Uh, you know, New Zealand has secured pre-purchase arrangements for enough vaccines to immunize our entire population three times over. Um, we obviously only need to do it once. Uh, part of that is, is logical. We're trying to make sure that if one vaccine technology doesn't work out to be as effective, we still have our bases covered. But that means that there's only so much supply for other countries, uh, particularly ones that don't have the money, the means, or the influence that we have. Um, so if we all get vaccinated in New Zealand and the rest of the developed world, 
but COVID-19 continues to rage in the developing world, uh, there's a possibility that new variants or strains of the the virus that causes that disease um, emerge that are resistant to some of the forms of immunity that these vaccines give us. It's probably not going to be one that totally renders our vaccines and all vaccines ineffective, but it, it could be reduce the, the effectiveness of vaccines. It could make it easier for the virus to transmit through vaccinated populations or, or what have you. Um, it sounds a little bit like science fiction, but we also have seen in the past month and a half the development of variants of the virus that are more transmissible. Mm. Um, there's some limited evidence that they may have an, you know, a small, small, small impact on the efficacy of vaccines, and that's still being looked at. But it's certainly not something that you can rule out happening. It doesn't mean it's guaranteed to happen, but there's an argument that says if we're trying to go down the path of least regret, that may be making sure that globally COVID-19 is under control so that we in New Zealand are just as safe as we would be if it was only under control here. There is maybe a bit, a bit of dissatisfaction in New Zealand that we are taking longer than people might have expected to get our hands on some vaccines. But you outlined the moral argument for waiting our turn in your latest piece. C- can you outline what you're talking about there? The basic argument is no one is dying of COVID-19 in New Zealand. The last time someone died of COVID-19 in New Zealand, it was September of 2020. In many other countries around the world, the last time someone died of COVID-19 was the past 24 hours or the past hour or the past few minutes. You know, in the United States, 4,000 people are dying a day. There's one question around vaccinating our border-facing workforce, which gives us sort of a big boost in in being able to maintain that status of not having anyone dying of COVID-19 in New Zealand. Um, But as for rolling out vaccines to the general population, to be able to reach a level of herd immunity and eventually reopen the borders, this is vaccinating a population that currently is not experiencing a COVID-19 outbreak, um, when almost every other country in the world is And many of those countries will not have access to vaccines until well after we begin vaccinating, again, just sort of the general population. You know, I'll be able to get my vaccine uh, well before people in in most African countries where there is active community transmission of COVID-19. And the risk of me getting COVID-19 is, is at the moment, fairly infinitesimal. It comes, I guess, down to fairness and, and, like I said earlier, prioritization, but not just prioritizing sending vaccines to the wealthy countries that have the money to purchase them, prioritizing sending vaccines to poorer countries that don't have the money to purchase them and also, by the way, don't have the health infrastructure or sort of social infrastructure to be able to enforce things like lockdowns, to be able to engage in contact tracing and testing. It's something to think about. I don't think I'm necessarily making an argument one way or another as to, you know, we should give all of our vaccines away. But there should be a conversation around it. You know, there shouldn't be just this assumption that why have we not got our vaccines yet? We deserve to be at the front of the queue. We did our part and we eliminated COVID-19 and now we deserve to enjoy the economic benefits of that, which may be true, but, you know, people are dying. Mm. Uh, And if we just pretend that isn't happening, then I don't think we're doing... uh, I don't think we're being thoughtful enough and I don't think we're, you know, 
we at least owe it to the rest of the world to have a, a, a conversation about it. Yeah, essentially, what other countries need it more at this stage. Yeah, other countries need it more. Frankly, we don't really need it at all at the moment. It's helpful economically, but it's not a, a health uh, emergency for us the same way as it is for other countries. That's it for today. I'm Emil Donovan. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Mark Balder. Matewa. Wa.